Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Van Life Pantry podcast, where we talk food, kitchen, and cooking for vehicle nomads. I am back this week with a discussion of cakes. But first, let me do a little bit of house cleaning. I wanted to tell you about the crows and why I chose them. So, well, secondly, let me say that um, I'm not going to edit again (laughs) because that's kind of just how this is going to go. And I want to talk a little bit about imperfection because I had some internet problems on Sunday. I had some internet problems on Monday. Tuesday, I was extremely busy. I was unable to even record the podcast. Wednesday, I'm busy too, but I'm doing this at lunch. I'm in my van. I'm parked in a place where I can eat my lunch and do this. And I want to say that I, if I wait for perfection, it isn't going to happen. Things in my life have not happened when I waited for perfection. If I wanted to make something perfect and I was afraid that it wouldn't be perfect and I couldn't do it just right and I chose not to do it because I couldn't quite get there or I didn't have the right tools or I didn't have the right knowledge, then it may never happen. And I have decided, especially this year, because this is a year that I've determined we are going to pivot. I am going to pivot. My husband and I are going to pivot. We are making some changes and it is time to um, reassess. And one of those things that I'm reassessing is whether or not things have to be perfect. Now, maybe nobody wants to hear it. Maybe nobody will listen. Maybe nobody cares what I have to say anyway. But I'm going to put it out there and If you don't like that it is imperfect, then there are probably plenty of other places that put out a much more polished and perfect product that you can go and consume. For me, I strive for perfection. I will continue to try to make it better each time, but I'm not going to let imperfection stop me. I am not going to let the fact that it is not perfect and I don't have time to edit it stop me. I am not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to enjoy the things I want to enjoy, whether they are perfect or not. So that is number one. Number two, the crows. The reason I chose the crow sounds, we kind of have a little bit of a connection with crows and where we have lived for several years now, more than a decade, um, into almost the middle of a second decade, we have been on some rural property and we have kept chickens and occasionally we've had goats and we've had dogs and other animals and there are hawks and occasionally there's a golden eagle that flies by and there are a lot of crows. And crows can be a nuisance for some. Some people don't like them around. We have learned that crows are extremely good watchdogs. They're very smart. Um, They're one of the most intelligent birds, I I understand, that that are out there. And they're very good at letting you know when something is going on. So when a hawk is in the area, they will alert. And they do it when they're calling to each other. They don't really do it for me, but the result is the same. It helps us out. So last summer, early summer, early June, It was time for baby birds to be 
out and fledgling and, and learning to fly and getting ready to leave the nest. And we had a nest full of crows, which I guess means two. Um, I don't know how many they normally have, but we had a nest with two. And we didn't actually realize that we had a nest of crows in this tree where the crows like to hang out until one day we went out into the yard and there was a small-ish looking crow on the ground. And we went over to see what it was doing. It was kind of flopping around and it didn't fly and it wouldn't leave. And it could seem like it could only hop, but it didn't seem hurt. Um, so we weren't sure what to do, and we tried to get it to go away, just to go back up, because, you know, think predators on the ground can get it. So um, it wouldn't go anywhere, and we determined that it was a young bird, and we started looking for the nest that it might have fallen out of, and its parents were actually circling and calling to it. And we're trying to figure out what we can do to get it back up in the tree, and about a half hour later we see another little bird that was also down on the ground. And now we've got two birds and we don't know what to do with them. So I called a local wildlife expert, uh, actually a wildlife refuge that we have in the area, and they said to try to use a laundry basket to make a makeshift nest and hoist that basket as high into the tree as we could get. And the parents would take it from there. So we did. We hoisted this laundry basket and we were able to get these birds into the basket and we hoisted them up as high as we could. We had to use a recurve bow and arrow to shoot the arrow with the rope over the highest branch that we could shoot the arrow to and then hoist this up. And we did that over and over. My husband actually ended up with the job and it kept the birds kept coming back out and they would flutter back down and thankfully they didn't get hurt. But the parents, we could only hoist it about halfway up this huge tree and the parents won't come down that low. They wouldn't come down that low and they would just call from up there. So we went to a wild bird food store and asked them if there was some sort of baby food mix that we could get to feed baby crows. And they chastised us for even trying and said, no, we don't carry that and we discourage that and why would you want to do it? And they were really rude. And I thought, well, aren't you about feeding wild birds? <laughs> Isn't that what this store is completely about? So we um, ended up not going with them and they didn't help us at all. We ended up looking up online, of course, because the internet has all information, um, information about how to make some bird slurry. And we bought a turkey baster and we used red worms and we ground them up. It was so yummy looking. And we put that together with some oats, uh, soaked oats. And I can't remember what the liquid was, but it might've just been water. Anyway, um, and we made this turkey baster full of yummy slurry goodness several times a day. Uh, my husband was out there feeding these crows about every three hours. And they would call for the food. And we kept them in a dog crate so that they were safe while they were on the ground. 
and he would feed them every three hours, and then he would hoist them back up into the tree in this makeshift nest. And he did this for 10 days. We fed on schedule. Um, they went longer at, at night, but uh, we left them outside so that the parents could hear them call, and they could hear the parents call. And the parents knew, it seemed like, that they were still down there, and they were at least safe. And this went on for 10 days. Until finally, we kept hoisting and hoisting them into this tree, and they managed to stay. They managed to stay on a branch, and they couldn't fly yet still, but they could use their wings enough to get them up to the next branch higher and the next branch higher, and they hopped and hopped and hopped and got up to the point where the parents finally came in and took over. And the mother bird re-commenced uh, feeding these babies. It was an amazing experience. It was an amazing thing to watch. And it was really great that we got to see that these parents hovered and circled and waited and watched for 10 days while these babies were being cared for on the ground. And they didn't abandon them. They didn't give up on them. They didn't stop because some human had touched them. It was almost as if they could tell that we were trying to help. And it was so much fun. It was a great experience. We will probably never have that experience again because who gets that more than once in a lifetime? But it was amazing. And the Wildlife Refuge helped us actually all through the way. Um, we, we consulted with them about what we were doing and how we should do it. And um, it was determined that it was best for the birds to keep them right there in their natural environment where the parents were still trying to get to them than to take them to a refuge and remove them from their natural habitat and let humans handle them that way. So we tried to be as non-invasive as possible. We kept them alive. We got them to, uh, back up in the tree until they were able to fly and they flew away. And so this year we have some birds actually circling that same tree in the same area where the nest was last year. And we just get to wonder, were those our crows or not? And we gave them names, but I can't remember what they were right now. I'd have to look back in some of my photos. So um, we kind of have this interesting connection. We've always liked crows and ravens and, and just the interesting stories that happen around those birds. And... Um, now we've got this extra element to it. So we are on a journey. We are in a life pivot, if you will. And um, we're kind of at the beginning of this van mobile nomad journey. We um, are still downsizing our place. And that is a lot of work. Um, so in a way, we're kind of like baby birds ready to jump out of this nest um, in even though we aren't, we're, we're um, middle-aged persons at this point. But uh, it's a new kind of nest and I'm ready to jump out of it soon and into this nomadic lifestyle. Whether it be full-time or part-time, we haven't completely decided yet, but um, it will at least be half-time. And that is quite a journey and quite a um, pivot to have to make. And it takes a lot of uh, work and ability to accept imperfection. So 
now that I have taken almost 12 minutes to discuss that and give you that background, I'm going to talk about the cake a little bit so that you can learn what I learned last week. And I apologize if the sound quality is also imperfect this week because I have misplaced my headphones today and I'm actually just speaking into the microphone and um, there's air noise and possibly um, mouth noises because I don't have a pop stopper. So um, I made cake. I made two cakes. I was inspired by Stu and Edie Beans um, and they are at YouTube House of Beans and I just ran across them because uh, we are in some similar groups together and Stu is in my Van Life Pantry group on Facebook and um, she made condensed milk cake and I thought that would be a good easy introductory attempt at making cake without an oven. Now, Edie used the Omnia oven, and I do not have one, so I am just using my Covea butane single burner stovetop. And we wanted to know, can you make cake without an oven? Because somebody in one of the van life groups that I'm in was lamenting recently that they missed homemade chocolate cake. And I thought, well, maybe I can remedy that problem for them because I can do these experiments and determine whether it's even worth trying to make homemade chocolate cake on the stovetop in your van. And let me tell you, it is worth trying, and it turned out great. Now, I preferred my chocolate cake to my condensed milk cake, but I'm going to go condensed milk cake information first because that is what I made first. So the condensed milk cake uses one can of sweetened condensed milk. It uses one cup of all-purpose flour. I used Bob's Red Mill gluten-free all-purpose flour because I have to be gluten-free. So for those of you that are gluten-free, you can substitute in a gluten-free flour. And it uses four eggs and two, uh, one tablespoon of baking powder and three tablespoons of melted butter. I just mixed all of those in a bowl. Just mix them all in there. Um, and then here's where the baking on the stove part comes in. When I was a kid, my mom had a best friend who loved to cook, and she was always trying out different recipes, and she made quite a few of them from Julia Child's cookbook and a cookbook called Silver Plate Cooking, and um, she did a lot of French cookery, and she was always looking at different methods. But it seemed to me that she was always doing something in a water bath. And when I wanted to try this out recently, that memory came to me. And I thought the water bath, the purpose of a water bath, also called a bain-marie, is to soften the force of the heat hitting the pan. And it is often used for cheesecakes and custards, and it keeps them from cracking um, and it keeps them from heating too quickly in one area and it distributes the heat. So I decided I might try that method on the stovetop. So I bought a set of three small round cake pans, miniature if you will, and I have a large-ish um, 
stainless steel skillet. And what I decided to do is I put the cake batter into the small cake pan. And one thing I learned is it is extremely important to make sure that you do not put too much batter in at one time because it will not cook thoroughly and it will not, uh, it, you'll, ha- you'll end up with goo <laughs> on the bottom when you turn your pan out. So um, I think I put maybe an inch to an inch and a half layer, probably not more than an inch. I don't know. It was, I didn't measure, I'm sorry, but uh, it was an experiment and I just kind of played it by ear. I poured the batter in so that it was not too deep and I put water into my skillet, about a cup and a half full of water in my skillet. And really the amount of water that you want is dependent upon the size of your cake pan. So the water should go about halfway up the outside of your cake pan. You put your skillet on the burner, you put your water in the skillet, you put your batter in the cake pan, and then you put your cake pan in the skillet full of water. And it should, the water should only touch about the outside halfway up point on your cake pan. And then I put the lid on and I baked it, quote unquote, baked it for, I think, 12 minutes. And I just kind of kept a close eye on it because I didn't want to overdo it. I didn't want to underdo it. I figured 12 minutes would be a good starting point. I checked it at 12 minutes and I used a toothpick and it was mostly coming out clean, but it seemed like it still might be a little um, un- underdone. So I let it go for another two to three minutes. And I checked it, and my toothpick came out very clean each time. And I took it off there, and it was marvelous. It was soft. It was spongy. It was moist. It turned out of the pan beautifully. It was great. So that does not use all of the batter because it was a small cake pan. So you have to do this in batches. And I did my second batch, which was another smaller cake pan so that they can stack. Um, and I put it too, too deeply, too thick. And that looked good on the top. And the toothpick came out clean after 12 minutes. But when I turned it over, I had goo on the bottom. So you have to be careful to make sure that it is completely finished all the way. But it was great. It makes really good cake. And it uses basically your stove top and turns it into an oven without you needing any kind of oven, stove top oven um, proprietary gear necessarily. Now, an Omnia oven is probably great and better and you don't, and maybe not as messy and you don't have to use the water. But water bath, I think, is a key to stovetop baking. And I'm going to try other things because I did the second cake a few days later. It was chocolate cake and it was even better than my condensed milk cake. So my condensed milk cake turned out great. Next I did chocolate cake. And for the chocolate cake, I used Pamela's gluten-free chocolate cake mix. And uh, all you have to add to that is some eggs, two eggs, some oil and some water. It's one and a half cups of water and a half cup of oil. And I did the same process, except I added another experimental process with the chocolate cake that somebody had suggested. And it worked great too. 
Um, I did the same thing with the baking pans and, and all of that. So that works great. You do exactly what I just told you. You put your batter into the pan, not too thick. You put your water in the skillet. You put your cake pan with its batter in the skillet of water. You put the lid on. You go about 12 minutes to 14 minutes. You check it, and then you can turn it out when it's done. But the additional thing that I did was I used some halved orange peels. I took oranges, I cut them in half, and I took out all of the contents, and I used the contents for making a smoothie. Um, And I had seven, because that was what would fit in my skillet, seven half orange peels. And I put my chocolate cake mix in these half orange peels and you fill it about half full each one fill it about half full because the cake's going to rise a bit and in essence what I did is I made cupcakes chocolate cupcakes in orange peel and that worked great too and it was so much fun now the drawbacks are it's messier the oranges are juicy so I would not be preparing and gutting and uh taking the insides out in the van. I would do that outside on a table where you can have prep and it, if it's messy, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, and then you have, of course, three or four oranges insides that you have to eat. So you can either just eat them or if you have, uh, electrical shore power, you can make a smoothie. If you don't have electrical shore power, but maybe you have a 12 volt blender, you could just blend them up and now you've got a smoothie while you wait for your cakes and your cupcakes. So it worked great. It was a really fun experiment. I'm going to experiment more with water bath method of baking on my stovetop because I think it's a really great way to bake things when you don't have an oven. Um, so anyway, that was the experiment. I will put the information about what ingredients I actually used in the show notes um, below this podcast entry. Um, And I hope that you'll tune in again next time. (laughs) I talk fast and I had to today because I'm in a hurry. I actually have to be somewhere and I was trying to squeeze this in so that it would finally get posted in all of its imperfection. So um, I hope you've enjoyed today and my story about the crows and why I have crows in my intro. And I hope that you will tune back in for episode four. I'm considering next time that my episode might be about honey, um, but but I'm not sure yet. So one episode coming up soon will be about honey and other sweeteners, um, but it may or may not be episode four. Anyway, tune back in. Thank you for listening. Come join my group on Facebook called Van Life Pantry dash Nomadic Pantry. I put both names in there because um, I, I want it to be open to all nomads, but also because I have a van, as I've explained in my last podcast, it's van focused. So Van Life Pantry is the name, but it's also for all nomads. So I added that Nomadic Pantry. And my website, which is not yet up, but is in the works, is going to actually be at nomadicpantry.com. So um, have a lovely afternoon, happy travels, and I will catch you next time. I know I'm at an odd time here to end, 23.25, not 25 minutes, not 10 minutes, not 30 minutes, but, um, you know, imperfection abounds, doesn't it? Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>